0: Welcome to the Profitable Farmer podcast, where we share stories and tips to help you run a better farming business and create your very own freedom farm. If you're looking to work smarter and not harder in your farm business, welcome, you're in the right place. G'day everyone and welcome again to our next conversation. Um, on profitable farmer wonderful to have you we've had um about five inches of rain over the last 24 hours and it means that i'm sitting here marooned we can't get out to um shops or schools so i've got four kids here and i'm looking out the window they're towing each other behind the motorbike on surfboards across wet paddocks um it's a work and health and safety issue, but gosh, it brings back some fond memories of kids of just um, growing up on the farm and doing stuff um, like that. It's just wonderful to see the um, enjoyment and the freedom that the kids are ex- exploring, not able to get to school today. So what I'm saying is if there's any noise in the background, um, I apologize in advance. They're probably likely to come in for lunch at some stage and um, they may well interrupt this podcast. But yeah. Um, Thought I'd just share that. I hope you're all well wherever you are. Hey, um, every six months or so, it gives me great pleasure to invite Terry Tran to join us on Profitable Pharma and update us on everything that's playing out in the broader global economy, um, the impact it's having on various markets, on equities, um, and on our realities. A lot's happened over the last six months. And so absolutely perfect timing i feel to have terry join us um to those of you that know terry won't need introduction but um at farm owners academy we endorse and support terry's efforts to educate farmers and others on wealth creation um on um, share market investing and on um, helping people learn the skills to successfully grow wealth outside their farm so Terry, welcome! Great to have you with us again. Thanks, Jeremy. Always a pleasure to be here. Terry, I'm going to kick off just left field if I could. Sure. How many clients do you now have, and how many countries are they in? Uh, we've got
1: just uh, we should have over about 1,200 plus. Uh, about 230 of them are Aussie farms as well. So I'd probably say um, in terms of yeah, country wise, funny enough, um, a lot of it uh, grew organically because we've also got quite a few. Uh, what would I say, uh, airline pilots inside our, our program and all the a lot of the international students that we have actually came from the airline pilots simply by spreading the message while, while they, were th- they were there, either with their friends or family uh, or even uh, at hotels, for example. So uh, I'd probably say close to about 10 different countries, especially in Europe, uh, the United States, uh, Singapore, we've got a, a big contingent there, a lot of financial planners um, and accountants are from, are from Singapore
0: and just, yeah, all different parts of the world. Quite incredible. Your your business growth in and of itself is quite an amazing story, Terry. Did you ever predict that um it would be as you just described?
1: Uh no, nowhere near it. Uh my first my very first thing was all all about just writing a blog uh seven, seven and a half years ago just to save people from getting scammed and and getting into the wrong thing and getting taught the wrong thing. So it initially just started as a blog, and I actually had no program, no course. And uh, interesting enough, after writing for about three or four months, uh, a, one of the major publications, in the United States, actually contacted me by email and asked and said that I actually write well and to the in terms of languaging, very easy, simple and easy to understand. And they asked me to contribute to their uh, their um, eighty thousand members, literally. Uh, so a lot of our initial students also came from the United States in uh, the the West Coast, California, and and Los Angeles. Yeah, so yeah, definitely had no idea that it would become this. Uh, The only reason why I actually have a program is because those initial people who who read my blog actually asked me, uh, do I have a program? And I kept on saying no for a number of months. And then finally, I had to put together something just to start teaching that side. And uh, funny enough, my initial uh, test students were actually my friends that felt
0: sorry for me. There's no doubt, and I think what our farmers really value about what you do is that it's just so practical, it's so pragmatic. You teach it so cleanly and so clearly without the jargon, Um, and it just means that people can learn and apply what you teach to their realities and get real results. Terry, um, why do why is it that you do what you do? Uh, I actually
1: just want to give someone a life skill because I've been managing funds for a long time, and of course I've noticed that. You know, people, uh, they know what I do. They understand what I do on a broader scale. They see the returns. But ultimately, in the end, I'm only helping a, a small group of people that can afford to invest with me back in the old days. And then I realized, you know, to make, make, make a bigger impact is actually physically teach exactly what I do uh, to on a broader scale. And people who understand that, you know, it's, it's not about taking extreme high risk to get the return you want. Uh, it's all about, in, in fact, the, the total opposite, about managing risk and, minimizing it to as little as possible and just have that consistency year on year out. And while they'll build their portfolio, they can also sleep as well. So just giving them that, that life skill, I call it the life skill that can, they can then pass on to the next generation. So create that intergenerational education as well as wealth. Um, And uh, it is clearly working because a lot of our, my youngest student is in fact, uh, nine. So she's a daughter of um, one of our students and my other youngest is 12. So we've got quite a few teenagers in our program already as well.
0: How good's that? That's amazing. So there's a distinction there. A lot of us have financial planners, and a lot of a lot of us have stockbrokers, mm. um, but do it for us. Yes. Um, you teach people how to do it for themselves. Why have you chosen to teach rather than tell or do in this space?
1: I think I, I've done it for people for a long time, and obviously I I give them returns. But then I can never really see a a big change in, uh, in terms of, you know, obviously on a broader scale of other people and just hearing in, you know, all the, the sorry stories, you know, from people who have been scammed, lost a lot of money, et cetera. And I realize that it's actually far more important to, even if, you know, someone's got a financial planner or, or a broker, it's actually really important that you at least know what they're, what they are actually doing, uh, you know, with your money and not just giving them full control because, uh, as you, you know, I've also got a lot of financial planners in our in our own program as well. And a lot of them, funny enough, they came because they, their clients ended up knowing more than them. So they actually seek me out to see where their clients learning from. So they've actually joined my program so they can at least be on the same level, which is which is actually quite interesting. So I think it's really important whether you've got advice from somebody that at least you know what they are actually doing with your money, because I always have that that saying that, you know, no one will ever care more about your money than yourself.
0: I can sign up to a gym and pay the gym membership and not get fit, Terry, Um, but for (laughs) those those people that are signing up to you and really um, leaning into the process and and applying the education that you share with them, Hmm. what results do you see some of your superstars or the the top 30% of your members getting?
1: Oh, they're easily getting uh, double-digit returns on an annual basis. And in some cases, three or four years, they've actually already doubled their money. And they and they actually openly share that in our Facebook community as well. So it's all about just that consistency. And in the meantime as well, while they're getting that, uh, they totally understand, one, they understand what they're doing. And two, they, uh, like I said, you know, while they're creating it, they actually can sleep well at night because they're literally building a, a, what I call a super portfolio that just owns top world-class companies that pass our criteria are very stringent and strict criteria. But also they are literally companies which uh, a lot of us funny enough we already use their products goods and services but we don't funny enough invest in them Mm. and yet a lot of these companies are all the big names so it's very also comforting that when you own a stake in that company and you already also use their products and you've used them for years it's also a very comforting factor to hold onto those companies because you know that these companies are part of our daily lives and they just won't go anywhere they're just they're here to stay one
0: thing that we pride ourselves on a farm owners academy, academy is teaching people how to be self-reliant um, yep. so that they don't have that dependency on their consultant, their agronomist, their accountant um, or anyone. Um, there's a distinction there, isn't there? Getting double-digit numbers year on year yep. um, and doing that for yourself versus getting double-digit numbers year on year, um, someone else doing that for you. Yeah, correct. Because the,
1: firstly, the controls there. But two uh you know you've got the the skill so whether they're there or not going forward you won't it will never matter because you've got that skill for life and this is really going to be a life skill that you'll use for the rest of your life and obviously pass on to the next generation is which is even more important because I, I know a lot of people they they um they had the skill let's say for for themselves but you know how good it would be to also be able to pass that on as well because I think that's one of the, the greatest gifts that
0: any parent, for example, can give their children?
1: Absolutely.
0: Um, I think so many of us can be at risk of abdicating responsibility in this space. You know, we handed our portfolios over to a financial planner or a stockbroker or we put it in a super fund or whatever and we abdicate responsibility. I think we've got to be really careful of doing that. What I love about the partnership that we have and, and what you do for our members and for those 1200 clients of yours is that you teach them to be self reliant and they can absolutely be um in control of their wealth creation um and have a risk aware certainty if you like that um they can continue to get results irrespective of what the market's doing yeah
1: correct and and i even say that you know i the the the, the skill i even want to give them is to be once they're taught the lesson, they physically also don't have to rely on my on even me mm. as well, even though I've taught them the skill to not be reliant on Terry Tran himself as well.
0: And then that's that's a real, I think, a real gift that I can give people. Absolutely. So, Terry, let's turn our attention to just what's played out over the, the last six months since we last caught up. Um it is a fascinating time in history, really, isn't it? Um you know, last time we talked about COVID and certainly Ukraine. Um now we talk about China, America relationships and the tension there potentially increasing. And there's new dynamics both for us locally and globally um, in what's playing out. What's your read on what's happened in the market um, and economically over the last six months? Yeah, I mean, a lot has happened. I mean, when we spoke last time, we're
1: just starting to have that that uh mild sort of um, pull back from the markets. And uh, I actually saw that as a healthy thing because, I mean, we've been talking, uh, even at that point when we had the the last um, session together, uh, the market was already quite overvalued. So I always say that things will only get to a certain stage where the euphoria will slowly wear off. And then all it takes is a bit of a catalyst. And that time, six months ago, was the catalyst was that uh, Russia-Ukraine since then. But of course, a lot more has happened since then as well. And the market has pulled back, uh, depending on which index you're looking at, all the way from between 25 to almost 30 basically a third 33% down in a lot of markets Now they've since recovered slightly but a lot of questions you know I get asked is you know is with all the the things that's happening right now you know is this the actual bottom of the market or you know can things get worse and uh, it's definitely not the bottom of the market from where I see things uh there's going to be a lot more volatility uh that's going to happen and there's quite a number of reasons i mean one of them is for example what you just uh spoke about you know with the uh Chinese and and, um, and uh, American relationships uh, with Nancy Pelosi uh, going, going over to Taiwan to actually have a bit of a visit and now China retaliating and saying that, you know, dire consequences will happen. But I just see that as just simple big headlines that make the news. But it's people have to understand it's a very different scenario compared to what we had with Russia-Ukraine because Russia-Ukraine, first of all, with Russia, they had in a way, I think a behind the scenes blessing from China. And a lot of their business was not, you know, um, reliant on, say, the United States to buy their products, et cetera. Um, and therefore, and they and they actually had a, a, another buy in place, which was China, buying, still buying their goods, for example, to continue funding their war, for example. So they've got that. Whereas with America and China, it's very different because I always call them pretty much being in bed together because they ultimately need each other. So as we are probably aware, a lot of the American companies go over to open their factories in China because of cheaper labor costs. And uh, even Tesla, for example, has their big uh, gigafactory in Shanghai, building um, electric vehicles there. And that's their future, literally, uh, for both sales but also production. The Apple iPhone went over to China, Foxconn, producing all uh, all the iPhones. And slowly, I do now. I think I understand now. The a lot of the American companies are slowly weaving themselves from China and going elsewhere to other parts of Asia. Like for example, Samsung is now no longer just producing in China. Uh, I've got a Samsung phone. They're now producing in my home country, Vietnam. So a lot of them are going to elsewhere because production costs are definitely much more higher compared to what they used to be. Uh, So uh, a lot of American companies do still rely on China, no matter what. It will be a number of years before they can slowly weave off a bunch of their production over across to the other parts of the world because they just don't have that capacity, firstly for funding, but also uh, 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 not the cost, the cost they can get cheaper, but in terms of capacity because China's just got this massive population, right? So that's that. But then on China's side, half of their, their produce is sold to the Americans. So can you imagine uh, with Russia what's happened? And they've been watching this as, I think as a lesson where Ru- Russia obviously did uh, their Ukraine thing, and literally they got shut off from around the world. American took their first step, and Europe, the whole rest of all the other countries, followed suit. And that would probably happen with uh, with you know uh, with that China uh, Taiwan uh, debacle that's happening right now as well. And they've been watching this, so they know what can happen if the world actually shuts off. And Russia's just been totally shut off from not only from from produce but also from the financial market system. So China slightly has a has an edge up on the financial markets because they do have their internal systems that can get around that a little bit. But ultimately, in the end, they're still part of the whole banking economic system. So they're a big part of, a major part of it, in fact. Uh, So they will never risk half of their business being shut off with one country, let alone Europe, and that's not even including Europe and the rest of the the world as well. So it's all about, ultimately, in the end, it's all about economic and also about money as well. So despite their... Their rhetoric about you know um, having uh, saying what they're saying over the media, um, I, I think they they will probably do some form of warning, but it will never be the stage of doing what they've you know um, going and the, that full invasion thing, which is making the headlines right now. You know, will they or will uh, one day? I just can't physically see it happening. I think what they, I mean, being you know, um, my grandfather was born in China, so a descendant being Chinese, ultimately in the end, it's all about face. So they just want to make sure they save face. So, But by saving face, they also ensure that they don't want that economic issue as well, but they're trying to find a way to save face, but at the same time, balance, um, continually balance their relationship with the United States. They will need to because that's their major trading partner and there's no getting around that. Um, And one forgets too that uh, China's got one of the biggest foreign reserves and the currency they're holding is the US dollar. So, literally, they're the biggest, I guess, creditor to, to Americans, the American government, which borrows money, funnily enough, from China as well.
0: I, so, wanted to, I wanted to mention that level of gross indebtedness between the two countries as well. Um yes. speaks to what you say. So, so tensions with Taiwan and things like that might see tensions escalate, but what you're saying is you don't feel like they will escalate to the extreme for all of those economic and social reasons that you've described Correct.
1: Yeah. They will never get to that. They, they they always threaten about a possible invasion, but they already they've already seen what happens when when, when Russia did that. And uh, and that's just and, and they've learned lessons from that. So they're they're quite aware of that as well. And America, even though they've got this neutral neutrality of not saying that they're definitely going to protect Taiwan, but with Nancy Pelosi's visit to Taiwan, she's made it quite clear
0: that, mm-hmm.
1: you know, uh sending a a, a clear message that you know if something was to happen i'm pretty sure the americans will actually ensure that taiwan is quite safe because they need they actually need that uh production um you know that country to so still be within that, that their, their power as well
0: yeah so then coming back terry you mentioned that you don't feel like we're at the bottom correct um what else do you see having played out over the six months and what's your read on our current reality I think why I say that it's not the, the
1: bottom is because ultimately in the end, uh, we've all heard about all this inflationary thing um, that's been going on. And funny enough, it's only you know all over the media in the last three months. But we've been talking about this since the late last year about uh, interest rates being way too low for way too long. And there was, I call it no home for money. So money always needs to find a place. And if you were to put in, say, a term deposit, you'd basically get nothing out of it, putting in a bank. And we've seen these very low interest rates. But now with all this inflationary happening, uh, the catalyst, of course, was the Russia-Ukraine, and that's even made it worse as well with supply chain issues. And all this rampant inflation is now being controlled with um, interest rates as well. And interest rates, we've seen a a number of increases from the Fed, and they're expecting in a month's time, the Fed's going to do another one of probably another 0.75 at least. And what happens is generally other parts of the world, I mean, Bank of um, of England has just done theirs, uh, literally in the last 48 hours. And our Australian RBA always follows suit as well. So they're always generally being a, a bit behind the curve, wait to see what America does, and they follow suit, usually a couple of months down the track.
0: It's interesting. Yeah. I'm reflecting back on a podcast I did with Tony Cat a couple of months ago, and, and he felt like in this instance, we might not follow the US interest rate rise trajectory as closely as perhaps we have. Right. Um, His comment was that they might do seven, we might do three. He doesn't think necessarily that we'll do seven. What's your view? Do you think we will follow the American interest rate trajectory or do you think we might run our own race?
1: We have not really ever run our own race because the reason being is also the foreign currency rates as well. So you can imagine what happens is whenever interest rates rise, uh, money follows. So once the, which has already happened, as we can see, once the US starts increasing the rates far further than the rest of the world, uh, all the money flows back into the United States uh, for investments. And of course, demand for those investments requires US dollars. And hence why the, the US dollar of late has increased quite dramatically as well over the past couple of months. And Australia can never afford to have their currency way too out of whack from from the united states so interest rates is almost like a balancing thing as well so i think they uh, whether they you know when they do seven will we do seven probably not but however it's not about the number of interest rates it's it's, uh ultimately in in terms of the level of let's say they go to five what do we go to we are not going to be at for example at two it's it's just um it's it's just too big of a difference they need to still keep it whether we do three or four, but it ultimately in the end, it still needs to have that balance and be very close to the, the rates that the Americans are doing as well.
0: So that read on our reality, what opportunities present?
1: I think it's going to be one of the, it's a really good period to, you know, be be patient enough to wait for quality assets. And we are seeing a lot of quality assets over the past three, four months now being sold off for cheap. And uh, we've been slowly, um, especially for longer-term passive investing, a lot of these companies we need um, from Apple to Amazon to uh, Johnson & Johnson, a lot of these companies have fallen 20%, 30 40%, and they're not going anywhere. So these are companies that we are very aware of because we use their products, but yet they've been sold off. And and I think with this correction and this volatility, which people, a lot of people, they fear it because of all the media hype and attention. But ultimately, what what I see this period as is if you can look past that and be patient enough with the capital is that when that actual opportunity comes to actually use this period to set up the foundation for the next, basically the next run as well, because assets will get to a certain level. They become cheap Uh, value investors like myself and our students, we're aware of what value actually is. And we'll come in and buy it for buy up these cheap assets and then reap the rewards down the track.
0: So Terry, just for those that might not have listened to our prior podcasts, yes, what is that value-based um, method or strategy, or what is it that is your underpinning investment philosophy?
1: Right. Uh, so value investing ultimately is in the end is just making sure that you don't overpay for you know for a, a, any asset. Uh, so, for example, let's say if we know a farm is worth based on next door neighbor, etc., and what they've been selling for is has been sold for a million dollars and it's worth a million dollars and then all of a sudden from euphoria all of a sudden now someone's offering you know two million dollars for that farm ultimately in the end it's you will you know the tide lifts up all boats and therefore other farms around will probably slowly lift up as well but the question is does is that farm actually worth two million dollars just based on someone willing to offer two million dollars maybe not because obviously it depends still on the the yield factor how much does it produce etc so there is no difference from that to re, uh, real estate, uh, like like homes, property, and also no difference to stocks. It's just that a lot of people just don't know, know how to unders- uh, how to value a stock. So every asset has a value, a what they call intrinsic value. And once it gets to that that value, we as investors, longer term investors, especially if you're more passive, to get excited about that because you're finally buying an income stream for life that will pay you that five to ten percent dividend yield while you wait for that capital growth. So. That's actually amazing because those companies are going to be around for a long time to come, and a lot of our the companies now are in that sort of paying that four to six to even ten percent dividend rate, which normally in normal markets that we don't see that, but because they've dropped so much already, uh, we are now seeing that, and uh, that's what I call the cheap factor.
0: And you look globally at the best stocks globally, not necessarily just in Australia. That's correct.
1: Uh, definitely, because uh, if you can imagine Australia, we've got a population of 26, 27 million people and only a handful, I literally can count it in one hand, uh, a handful of Australian companies that have gone global. A lot of them have tried, like the NAB. Uh, they've, they've gone over to the UK, they failed, lost a few billion dollars and come back. Then you've got Telstra, who went over to uh, to Asia, tried that, lost a few billion dollars, come back. ANZ's done done the same thing. They went over to Asia and their strategy failed, they came back. So a lot of our companies are in fact, quite local. So they sound big, Telstra, our big uh, major four banks, for example. So they're, they've got a monopoly almost of our economy, but however, they're just local and they're only serving 26, 27 million people. So why would we stay in our country when there's just so many other opportunities outside? And if we want growth, especially long-term capital growth. We do need to go external because, Johnson & Johnson, Microsoft, Intel, um, GlaxoSmith, uh, what else, Facebook, uh, all these companies are in fact all global. So they, why would we stay here when all the opportunity is actually in fact there and they've got a population of you know, 67 billion people to actually service. So they will keep on growing year after year, whereas with a lot of our companies, we just can't simply because of, we're, we're relying on migration ultimately
0: in the end. I think a lot of people sort of invest locally to try and avoid exchange rate risk. Yeah. What would your comment be to them?
1: Uh, for me, uh, there's an exchange risk if you all of a sudden, let's say you try to pick the right time and you literally convert all your currency to say the US dollars, let's say $100,000, for example, and then that's that risk that you have there because you've tried to pick the right time to convert that that whole lump sum. But opportunities don't come all in one go. They they spread themselves over time. So we try to pick the low-hanging fruit, and low-hanging fruit doesn't just necessarily come, you know, as, as we ask for them. So they'll you usually will take you know weeks, months, sometimes even years to actually use utilize the capital you've got. So as you spread out your investments, you're only changing the uh, the currency every time you buy the investment. So you're actually spreading out your risk anyway. So the exchange currency, one day you might win some, other days you'll lose some. But overall, it just balances itself out. So I've actually never thought about exchange risk, unless, of course, if you're you're planning to retire, and then you all of a sudden need to, let's say you're invested in America, you all of a sudden need to now pull out the entire amount in one go. And that's very different because then there's an exchange risk there. But I'm pretty sure most people don't just retire and take that whole lump sum in one go. They'll spread it out anyway. So that exchange risk is um to me, it's more of a myth than anything else.
0: What else are you saying, Terry? Um, in the market right now and What's your read on the next 3, 6, 12 months?
1: Um, I'm seeing that interest rates will continue to rise, of course, uh, to continue fly- fighting off this inflation. And asset prices will continue to be repriced, which we're very seeing. And hence why I say that the market hasn't bottomed because ultimately in the end, as yield, as interest rates and yields go up, there's now another ho- technically another home for money because what we've seen is why asset prices, property, especially farmland, uh, stock prices have run up over the last few years is because interest rates were literally at zero. So nobody's been happy enough to leave their money and lock it in in a home deposit, earning you know, less than half percent type thing. So money needed to find a home. So they found home in riskier assets, but now because of interest rate rises, money's now getting pulled from these risky assets, stocks, property, farmland, and slowly going back into the the cash side to earn at least a decent return it's not it's going to be nowhere near as high as that but uh at least there is now a home for that you know a home for the money at least earning a decent yield and by doing so it's pulling down all the rest of the other asset prices so i'm just seeing a, an opportunity to uh to not be fearful about that and actually in fact utilize this period to like i said to build up that foundation and start picking up cheap assets
0: on the go so terry 6 months ago we talked about Covid and the impact that had on global economies and and how governments were um, likely to or needing to recover. Um, what's your comment on that? Um, and you know that stimulus and extra spending that we've all you know observed countries having to endure in order to you know, get through the pandemic. Um, what does that mean? And what extra risks are at play? And and um, where might that see us arrive to locally and globally economically?
1: Yeah, great question, uh, Jeremy. With the COVID, what I saw was I think they went on for the in terms of stimulus one wise they went over they did too much and for too long. So as we're aware, they obviously they they saved the global economy, but it was a certain stage. We they probably should have stopped, but they kept on going. And now what ended up happening was. With all these literally zero rates, zero low interest rates for for way too long, it created an extra amount of uh, I call it debt creation from both individuals and also from companies. Individual wise, a lot of people, I think I'll even say a lot of the millennials, which have never seen um, high interest rates in their life, in their lifetime. Whereas with us, like uh, for example, we've seen the higher interest rates back in the uh, in the '80s, and because they've seen it, they haven't seen it for um, they've actually never seen it in their life. A lot of them have actually overspent. Um, and only seen the good times, for example. And yet on the on the company side, a lot of them have borrowed quite a fair bit of money at, at literally very low rates and almost zero rates and to expand as well. But now the companies that are going to be in trouble will be the ones who have way too much debt because as the interest rates start rising, they will financially be quite stretched as well. So COVID had, had definitely had something to do with it because that was the, the catalyst that drove down all the interest rates to almost basically zero across the globe.
0: So no doubt then that overspending means that the reality that we now look into going forward is different to that perhaps globally that it's ever been. What extra risks come with that? I think you mentioned prior to me hitting record sort of four key risks that mm. you see now as a result of that overspending now as we recover.
1: Yeah, I think uh, the as we recover to besides just the low interest rates, uh, which is now going up to higher interest rates. The other issues that I'm also seeing that isn't really talked about is the, I call it the rising great power, which is China, of course, and we've been already covered that as well. And it's really challenging the existing world order. So, I mean, the st- when I look back at the stats, right, back in the, the mid 50, 1950s after World War II, literally the United States had 80% of the world's glo- uh, gold reserves and it was f- literally 50% of the global economy. So their GDP was literally 50%. That's how big the United States was uh, post-World War II. And also that gave them the, uh, also the funding to create, a, a you know, the, the military power that they have today as well. And we are literally seeing a shift and seeing China do the same thing now, because now, of, as we're aware, over the last couple of decades, they've now um, become, you know, basically uh, the, one of the world's uh, great powers as well and with all that funding they're also doing the same thing and spending that on the military side as well and hence why they uh, they've been you know in this position to potentially even threaten taiwan you know which we've been talking about so that's one of the other risks that i see um the other risk i probably see is we probably you know we hear from on the news constantly as well is the rise of just uh the number of natural disasters from climate change as well and i know a lot of people talk about you know potentially saying up this is um Climate change is is baloney. It's it's not happening, etc. But just the amount of droughts, floods, hurricanes that we're seeing, uh, just these extreme weather pattern changes over the past, you know, just this decade alone, I think it's it's a cause for concern. So hence why ourselves, which we used to, in fact, used to be quite invested in um, insurance companies, but we've actually, myself included, I've actually avoided a lot of insurance companies because we just you just don't know when you buy these insurance companies where you know where the, the, a left field event could happen and wipe out their multis of of profits as well. So so that's uh, one of the other risks. Um, And I think it's just the the, the final risk I'll probably see is, which isn't really talked about, is that widening uh, widening, uh, wealth gap. Because as countries uh, become more and more wealthier, so to speak, they produce more, but at the same time we also consume more and it just feeds back almost like a loop, back to climate change. As we consume more, Uh, We need to produce more and these factories are just pumping out goods as well to to satisfy that demand as well. So um, I think it's just this revolving cycle overall.
0: So the R word. Yes, the big recession.
1: Yeah, what do you reckon? I think the global uh, governments and central banks have a bit of work on their hand where they're trying to balance that balancing act of increasing interest rates to fight off inflation, but yet not accidentally Uh, tip their own economies plus potentially the world global economies into a recession as well. Personally, I think it's a very hard job. I don't think it can be done. I I reckon that we will, will have one. I don't think it will be short. You know, it'll be a long lived one. It might be a short one because ultimately in the end, the big R word scares a lot of people, but what does that actually mean though? All it means is just that the economy, any economy has two negative GDP quarters and that's it. But it doesn't mean anything else really, because in the end, the question that needs to be asked is, you know, are the companies laying off staff and there's high unemployment? Is there very extremely high interest rates, which companies can no longer afford? They need, of course, now to cut back costs, which includes employment as well and staff. We are not seeing that. Hence why I say that even if we do go into the big R word, um, I don't think just from the, the stats, I don't think it will be a long-lived one. I think it will just be a very a short one and we'll get out of it as well
0: it's so interesting terry so what would your advice be on what investors should be doing what actions can they take given that landscape and mm-hmm. that you know we're not yet at that that dip or the yes. bottom if if i'm um, just to take your commentary um what are the opportunities and and what actions would you suggest investors take
1: i think this uh, over this time period right now in the volatile period i think it's all about risk minimization more than ever so it's important to firstly have a quite a a bigger picture look and be diversified as well as balanced as well so that's one but the other thing too is the um to focus on on quality quality companies basically so companies that we are happy to own for a long time but also ones we can sleep well at night as well while we own them Um, and most importantly though is the valuation to not overpay for it ensure that we understand how much is that stock actually worth and you know, pay no more than fair value or if we can pay undervalue. So I always say, you know, um, a simple analogy is like most investors, what they do is they end up, say, buying a, um, uh, I, I use like cars as an example. They they try to buy, they buy a, uh, a Kia, which is a good car, but the problem is they pay a Mercedes price or a Ferrari price for it because they had no idea what Kia was actually worth. What we want to do is we actually want to buy a Mercedes or a, a Lexus, but pay a Toyota price for it. And if you do that enough times, you're underpaying for the company that you own. Uh, so you've bought at, at a great price, but also you're you're buying at a good uh dividend yield, which was will pay you and, and uh give you, provide you that passive income for life as well.
0: It just speaks to the importance of learning how first, doesn't it? Like in order to value a stock, be it a farm or an accounting firm or a local business or a global stock, you've got to know how to value it so that you can determine whether there is value within it. Um, and I guess that that speaks nicely. Two or three times a year, everyone, we um, ask Terry to put on a, a webinar exclusively for our listeners and our community. And um, in that, Terry goes into quite a bit of depth about our teaching about how to value stocks and how to identify a good opportunity and then how to take action on that. Um, you know, as you've heard me say in previous podcasts, we just value Terry's um, expertise in this space, um, the way in which he teaches and um, the support then that he offers to our members who are keen to take control of their wealth creation. So that um, webinar that we're running, um, just for you is on Wednesday, the 24th of August, and it will be in the evening from 7.30 until about 9.30 Australian Eastern Standard Time. So mark that out in your diaries, Wednesday, the 24th of August, 7.30 to 9.30. And in that, again, Terry will speak to what he's seeing at the moment, perhaps in a bit more detail, but then show you how to make the most of the opportunities, analyze stocks well, um, and get a first glimpse of how to really take control of wealth creation for you and for your family. Terry, what um what is that webinar about? And and um would you mind just speaking to what you'll cover over that two hour session on the 24th of August?
1: Yeah, sure. So I, I always uh firstly start off with uh, allowing and teaching people how to actually firstly understand the world, which is what we've been talking about. Because funny enough, there actually are tools out there, which, and they're free too, by the way, uh, free tools out there, which allows a a person to physically actually see in advance, uh, weeks and even months in advance of a potential market correction or market crash. So all the things we've seen and heard about from the news, for example, from the coronavirus or the way to the Russian Ukraine crisis as well, that funny enough was already channeled through the markets. And you can see that, uh, not the exact day, but about one to two months prior to that. So we were seeing that way before that, and hence why when coronavirus happened back in March of 2020, we were in position, we started selling down our portfolios back in December of 2019. Uh, so we were selling down and prepared for that whole crash, and we actually got excited about the, the the market downturn and a little bit upset because the government stepped in with the stimulus and stopped the downturn. So, any, uh, I mean, I, I say the word only, uh, went down by about 35%. But without that stimulus, the markets would have had a GFC number two, global financial crisis two. So um, that's one of those things what I'll I'll be teaching, but also uh, teaching also a number of tools, which uh, what we've been talking about, you know, how do you actually focus on quality and what are those criteria to choose the quality company? So literally within a minute, when someone gives you a a tip or you get an idea, you can literally under 60 seconds know whether that's actually even worth while looking into uh, from any company that you look globally not just Australian, but also globally uh, across all markets. So those criteria will be taught um, during that masterclass. So it's going to give you a very good glimpse. um, And even if you've got a financial planner, once you learn that, in actual fact, I always say this loosely, uh, challenge the financial planner and ask them because you will find out you'll probably even know more just from that masterclass alone.
0: Guys, I have sat in on a few of these um, now and I'm halfway through Terry's um, masterclass On this and i'm getting so much value and getting so much more clarity on um the direction that we're taking with our off-farm investments and so yeah get involved and join us on the 24th and um yeah it's a cracking session on a lighter note terry um you you, um got to enjoy a holiday and tick off a fairly significant bucket list item at the end of the day all of this wealth creation is just to help people live their best life can you just share with us your uh highlight in xmouth in wa um that was your one of your bucket list items and and how that experience was uh, awesome
1: yeah uh, definitely because uh, i've always wanted to you know i've always liked uh, wildlife and especially in marine life and on my bucket list for years and my wife's bucket list has always been to literally swim with whale sharks and just see these magnificent big beasts in the in the wild uh doing their thing and being able to one get close to them, and even possibly, hopefully, uh, not just to see them, but actually experience swimming next to them as well. So, um, luckily, we had awesome weather. We spent uh, a week and a half, two weeks uh, there, and we just had multiple dives week day after day. And the great thing too was that every day they all the whale sharks came out to play. So they were feeding, and uh, we would go into the water, and within literally within thirty, literally at a minute, they'd come by and. Uh, with your with our flippers we'll just swim alongside them as much as we could because surprisingly even though they look slow they're actually quite fast so you're just uh, and you'll be spent by the end of that little swim then you jump back on the boat and then you just have a bit of a, a hot chocolate and then gather your energy again and then go for another dive again so we just had multiple dives for the entire day um and day after day we did that yeah for a whole week um and then uh, before we left, we also thought, also thought, okay, why not chart a little plane to go up in the air and actually be part of the experience of spotting them? Because the reason why we've, we've got such a high probability of seeing them in the water is because the spotter planes in the air. So they help locate where they are. And then the boat just go, literally goes go to that location and that they see their direction and we just jump in the water and we see them and we swim with them. So I thought I, I experienced a spotter plane as well. So I jumped onto one of the spotter planes and spent yeah about two hours in the plane uh, with my wife and uh, as a co-pilot and literally flew around and we just saw them, saw them from the air as well. And just, and sometimes we'll zoom in quite close from the air and swoop down and literally observe them from the air. And besides that, we saw a minky whale plus um, pods of t- a ton of sea turtles. Um, and also um, we had a chance to also swim with the the manta rays while, while there as well, a school of them, which was incredible.
0: Unbelievable, Terry, <laughs> thank you. No worries. Uh, yeah. I'll add, I'll add that to my bucket list.
1: <laughs> Definitely do it when you get a chance.
0: Terry, as always, really appreciate your time and just getting that um, really accurate view of the global um, economic climate, but you know, equity market and your tips and advice on how to navigate it. It's always great to have you part of Profitable Farmer. And thank you again for making time available on the 24th of August for um, that exclusive webinar for our listeners and for our community.
1: No worries. Yeah, thank you, Jeremy. Always for the, uh, a pleasure to be on, yeah, live on these podcasts and uh, share my message and being able to teach as many farmers as possible as, as well, you know, create that wealth outside their
0: farm. Perfect, Terry. Thank you. So I hope in some way that that's um, helped all of you, um, no matter where you're at on your wealth creation journey, um, be clear on where we are at at the current moment and how to take some meaningful action to improve your situation given um, the climate that we're in. Thanks everyone. I hope um, I hope that's been helpful. And take care. And we'll look forward to connecting again in a couple of weeks' time. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Profitable Farmer Podcast by Farm Owners Academy. If you're new to this show, be sure to follow us. If you've been a long time listener, let your friends know about us or come continue the conversation in the Profitable Farmer Facebook group. All the best as you grow your business and create your freedom farm. Until next time, keep being incredible.